Hello and welcome to Soothing Pod. My name is Anthony and I'm going to tell you a wonderful story that will lull you into a peaceful and restful sleep. I'm glad you are here to go on another adventure with me. This time we do not need to go very far away for our journey will take us to a place that is right in our view. Before we begin the story, let's make sure we are lying or sitting comfortably. Take a few deep inhales and exhales to release any tension of the day any worries and anxiety. And as you relax all your muscles, feel your body getting heavier in the bed and feel your heart rate slowing down. Take time to revel in this present moment and all that has passed today. Let's take another deep breath, and if you feel the need to stretch your body out a little to relieve any tension or tight areas, you can do so now. Inhale. And exhale. Now you are ready to go on a relaxing, restful journey. If you look up to the sky on a very clear night, you can see thousands upon thousands of stars. But there is one star in the vast heavens which dazzles more than all the rest, the morning and evening star. The truth is, This is not a star at all, but a planet, the planet known as Venus. Compared to all the other planets in our solar system, Venus looks closest to the sun. At its brightest hour, you can see Venus with your naked eye just a few minutes after sunset. This is when most folks call Venus the evening star. And when Venus is on the other side of the sun, it does not appear to follow but leads the sun, travelling across the sky. It rises in the morning just before the sun, but by the time the sun is up, Venus's light has merged with the daylight. This is Venus, the morning star. Tonight's story is a legendary one about the goddess associated with this star. In some lands, she too is called Venus. In ancient Akkadian mythology, she was known as Ishtar, and in Sumer, the oldest known civilization, she was known as the goddess Inanna. Sumer was founded in the Mesopotamia region of the Fertile Crescent, 
a land between the flowing Tigris and Euphrates rivers. The Sumerians gave the world a new language, introduced a way of government, and were considered the first civilization. Their goddess Inanna was worshipped as the queen of heaven, the highest status a being could attain. Across Mesopotamia she was revered, and temples were constructed in her honour and memory. Here, at the birth of civilization, is where the oldest epic poem was discovered, and here is also where our story begins. Once upon a time, when the earth was very young, when it did not yet know such things as four seasons and the changing of the tides, there was a queen of heaven and earth, and she was called Inanna. Inanna's sister, Ereshkigal, was the queen of the dead and the underworld, and when her husband died, Inanna, the queen of heaven, upon hearing of the funeral preparations, decided to pay her respects. In the underworld where she must journey, Inanna can observe the funeral rites of her brother-in-law, Gugalana, also known as the Bull of Heaven. The original poem of Inanna's journey begins with these lines. From the great above she opened her ear to the great below. From the great above the goddess opened her ear to the great below. From the great above Inanna opened her ear to the great below. Inanna must prepare for her long, deep journey to the underworld, and she chooses garments that will show her power. When her full goddess ceremonial regalia is fully adorning her from the crown under her head to her toes, she is ready. And so, to descend to the depths of the underworld, Inanna dons her finest garments. She wears the crown of heaven on her head, strings beautiful beads around her neck, and covers her chest with an armoured breastplate. On her finger is a golden ring and a powerful scepter in her hands. However, before leaving, she instructs her servant, Ninshubur, telling her what to do in case her journey does not quite go according to plan. After arranging everything, she walks forward gracefully to find her sister and brother-in-law. Arriving at the gates of the dark underworld, the goddess of heaven knocks loudly, demanding they be opened. The chief gatekeeper, whose name is Nettie, asks her to state her name and reason for arrival. I am Inanna, the queen of heaven, the goddess replies. But this is a land from which no traveller returns, replies the gatekeeper. Why do you wish to enter here? Inanna answers that she is here to witness the funeral rites of her brother-in-law. Stay where you are, called Nettie, 
I shall speak with the queen of the underworld. Ereshkigal, upon hearing from her gatekeeper that her sister is at the gates, bites her lip and acts strangely. She slaps her thighs in frustration, thinking about how she should reply to her sister who has come down. Ereshkigal does not seem pleased. Bolt the seven gates of the underworld, she instructs the gatekeeper, but let Inanna in one gate at a time. At each of the seven gates, Inanna is required to remove one piece of her royal garments. As she passes between each gate, the queen is stripped of everything, one piece at a time. Brown, bead necklace, golden ring, powerful scepter. What is the meaning of this indignity? She asks the gatekeeper. He replies in the following stanzas. Quiet, Inanna. The ways of the underworld are perfect. They may not be questioned. Each of the items Inanna is asked to surrender represents an element of power. And so, to prove herself, Inanna agrees to give them up and forego each part of her wardrobe and present herself without any frills. The first gate Inanna approaches is known as the Gate of Authority. Here, the Goddess of Heaven is asked to give up her crown. She does so, showing that her divinity is not beyond humility and surrender. At the second gate, the Gate of Perception, Inanna gives up her lapis earrings. You must also put down your royal scepter, she is told. With a heavy heart, yet willing, Inanna releases her royal staff. The third gate, the Gate of Communication, seems bluish in colour. Here too she is asked to lay something down. Inanna strips her slender neck of the shimmering beaded necklace. As she does so, she feels that she is now showing the bare skin of her collarbones, shedding the heavy necklace and bearing her true self. She arrives at the fourth gate, the Gate of Compassion, and here she takes off the heavy breastplate that shields her chest and heart. Her breasts are now bare, her heart beating steadily. As she removes the breastplate, she feels cold, yet realizes that her blood flows warmly within her body. And it is this inner pulsation that gives her life even in this dark place. At the fifth gate, Called the gate of personal power, she is again asked to give something up. What does she have left? The ring of power on her hand, a golden belt around her waist. These two items she unfastens and lays them down at the gate. It opens just as all the others did and she walks inside. At the sixth gate, called the Gate of Creativity, 
she gives up her ankle bracelets, symbolizing the surrender of all the ways she no longer loves or values herself. There is still the seventh gate, the gate of manifestation. It is painted dark red, and the color feels strong and daring. Here she strips her body of the robe that has kept her legs covered. At last, the goddess Inanna reaches the eighth gate. Finally, at the eighth gate, the gate of death by intent, she knows she has reached the last gate to the underworld. Inanna enters completely naked. She feels stripped of all her power, all her regal glory, all the things that were weighing her body and mind down. She walks through the gate now, a much humbler queen. When she finally arrives at her sister's throne room, Inanna is naked. Not quite the glorious queen of heaven, at least in appearance. Head bowed low in humility, she begins to walk before the throne, to approach her sister. Here, at last, Inanna meets her sister, Ereshkigal. But her sister, the queen of the dead, is in no mood for mercy. She ends her life, assuming that Inanna will never again return to whence she came. Unbeknownst to Ereshkigal, Inanna is not gone forever. Her spirit simply remains in the underworld as she releases her old self. What Ereshkigal does not know is that Inanna is preparing to be reborn. Meanwhile, Inanna's servant, Ninshubur, realizes that something must have thwarted the original plan. The servant now sends two emissaries to rescue Inanna from the underworld. They find Inanna's corpse and attempt to revive her, giving her healing water to quench her thirst and food to regain her lost strength. Inanna awakens, but she must now begin her ascension from the underworld the same way she came, back through the seven gates. It is a challenge, yet a necessary one, for in each of the gates, Inanna will collect her vestments that had been stripped away, and as she reclaims each one, the re-empowerment begins. At the first gate, the gate of manifestation, Inanna retrieves her royal robe, this garment of ladyship, as she puts it back on, becomes her life force. Again, she feels able to express her full being. She dons it with grace and a queenly demeanor. Next, the second gate, the gate of creativity. Here, Inanna finds again her ankle bracelets and buckles them back onto her ankles. While adjusting the clasps, she is relieved. A sense of value and self-worth encompass her. She comes to the third gate, the gate of personal power, and takes up her ring of power once more. 
she also reaches out to find the golden hip girdle. As she covers her thighs again, she feels that they are like garments of truth that she can now wear proudly. At the fourth gate, called the Gate of Compassion, Inanna finds her breastplate. Her heart longs to be healed again. And as soon as she puts on the breastplate, the goddess feels ready to love herself and others once more. The healing continues. The fifth gate is where she had left her beaded necklace, the gate of communication, and this she reclaims as well. At the sixth gate, called the gate of perception, Inanna finds her lapis earrings and also her royal staff, which was always a symbol of her power. Now, staff in hand, Inanna can see and manifest her vision clearly. She approaches the seventh gate, the gate of authority, and here the important item she had been reluctant to give up, her crown. This is her great connection to her place on the throne, a sign of her divine goddess light. At the eighth gate, she knows that her journey is nearly coming to its end. Inanna is now at what is called the Gate of Ascension, where she can truly rise higher than ever before, and become even more regal than she ever was before her descent into the underworld. Finally, her ascension is complete. She feels herself again, the Goddess of Light and the Queen of Heaven and Earth. It is now the end of the cycle, and Inanna feels reborn. She rises as the morning star, and is seen all over the earth as the brightest point in the heavens. Inanna's journey of death and rebirth has a deep meaning and different interpretations to many who have read the story. There were other legends too, such as Inanna and the Halupu tree, where the goddess is depicted as a young girl. In this story, the goddess sees a Halupu tree on the banks of the Euphrates River. She has an idea to create a throne from this glorious, majestic tree. Inanna takes the tree to her garden and replants it, hoping it will grow beautiful and strong. However, she soon discovers that there are many creatures marring the tree, a serpent, Lilith, and another bird pestering the tree. It is Inanna's brother, Gilgamesh, who defeats the serpent so that Inanna can make of the tree what she always wanted, a throne and a bed. Inanna, the goddess, was always an important figure in Sumerian mythology. She was one of the seven divine powers, and shrines were built to worship her. Sometimes, the goddess was depicted as a gatepost or reed bundle, two things which represented both abundance and fertility. She is often depicted in her human form, 
without the heaviness of clothes on, and when she is shown as a goddess of war, Inanna can be seen donning armor dressed in her breastplate. At times, she may ride a lion, the symbol of courage. You might wonder what role did the female figure play in Sumerian myths and culture, and from stories about Inanna, we can see that there was a strong role. During the Assyrian and Neo-Assyrian era, she became known as Ishtar. No matter what name she went by, the goddess was always an icon in modern feminism. Nobody knows for sure when the original story of the journey of Inanna was written, but some scholars think it was composed between 3500 BC and 1900 BC. It's likely that it was written even earlier than this. Written in poetic form and lyrics, this poem has 415 lines. It's quite a long and detailed saga. Did you know that the oldest love poem ever found was also written about this queen? Here is how the poem reads. Bridegroom, dear to my heart, Goodly is your beauty, honey sweet. Lion, dear to my heart, Goodly is your beauty, honey sweet. Bridegroom, let me caress you, My precious caress is more savory than honey. In the bedchamber, honey filled, let me enjoy your goodly beauty. Lion, let me caress you. My precious caress is more savory than honey. Bridegroom, you have taken your pleasure of me. Tell my mother, she will give you delicacies. My father, he will give you gifts. You, because you love me, give me prayer of your caress. My Lord God, my Lord Protector, my shoe sin, who gladdens Enlil's heart, give my prayer of your caresses. We do not know that much about the first civilization, but from the stories of Inanna, we see very strong ties between the earth and the heavenly bodies in the universe. We also see a romantic thread running through the legends. But an even more interesting aspect is how the goddess is portrayed in both her strength and her weakness. In order to be raised to the glorious queen she deserved to be, she had to first undergo a stripping away of everything she thought symbolized herself. Now that you have heard the legends, here are some facts about our very real and very tangible planet Venus, the bright light in the night sky. After the sun and the moon, Venus is the next brightest natural object in the sky. You can even see it during the day, if the sky is clear. Why is the planet Venus sometimes referred to as the morning star and evening star? Ancient civilizations assumed that Venus was two different stars appearing in the sky. This is because when Venus's orbit 
overtakes Earth's orbit, it is not visible at sunrise anymore, but is instead seen at sunset. Venus is the hottest planet in the solar system. It has an average surface temperature of 462 degrees Celsius, 863 degrees Fahrenheit. One day on Venus, which lasts 243 Earth days, is longer than one year on Venus, which lasts 225 Earth days. This is mostly because its rotation is very slow. Why is Venus sometimes called Earth's sister planet? Perhaps because they are both similar in size, with just a 638 kilometer difference in diameter. Venus rotates in the opposite direction relative to Earth and most other planets. This is what is known as a retrograde rotation. Venus's magnetic field is quite weak in comparison to our planet, Earth. Only one planet in our solar system is named after a female figure. You guessed it. It's Venus. And now you know both the fables and the facts about that bright light in the sky. I hope that when you look up tonight, it will give you a feeling of calm, peace, and serenity. Close your eyes and take comfort in the fact that like Inanna, all you need for your journey is already inside you. Strength, endurance, and grace. Thank you for joining me on Soothing Pod. I look forward to going on another adventure with you soon.